Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hello, I'm Leila Coffey, Principal at Hydric and Struggles' London office and a member of the Legal and Corporate Officers' Practice for Europe and Africa. In today's podcast, I'm excited to speak to Caroline Firstbrook. Caroline is an award-winning Chief Operating Officer and People Leader. Outgoing Global COO at Clifford Chance, Caroline had responsibility for all non-legal activities in the firm, including facilities, IT, finance, HR, business development, and a wide range of business support functions. Caroline sat on the executive leadership group and was chair of the executive operations group. She has a background in strategy consulting, having worked for Monitor Company in Europe for 12 years and led Accenture's European strategy practice for six years. Caroline brings extensive experience as an entrepreneur and previously founded companies in agribusiness, biotech and professional services. Caroline, Welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. I'm going to kick off and start with a focus around key challenges. Caroline, could you walk us through the capabilities you've needed in your career journey to date and how you develop them? Sure. So, I mean, as you have heard, I've changed organizations quite a few times. And also in my consulting career, I worked with you know, quite a wide variety of uh, client organizations. And so I think one of the, one of the keys when you move around like that is you have to be a fast learner. You have to quickly identify as you go into an organization what's important, what really drives uh, change, what drives results, um, and, and you know, uh, how you impact that. Um, and then the second thing to understand is, is who you need to know. Uh, in, in organizations, building those relationships is incredibly important. You, know, you get everything done through your social capital, and so building the right relationships and and behaving in the right ways that, that work within that organization becomes uh, very important. And cultures and behavioral norms can really vary between organizations. Uh, and so you kind of have to have to understand that and behave in ways that seem appropriate. I often t- said to people as they joined Clifford Chance, joining a law firm is a little bit like, Lloyd, like joining a country club. You know, there are certain ways to behave and certain ways not to behave. And if you sort of transgress, people will have questions about you. And so I think figuring that out and then building the relationships with the right people uh, becomes very important. And then the third thing I would say, and this is, is really important, is play to your strengths. Uh, you may come into a role where you're actually not ideally suited, but if you can quickly identify those aspects of the role that you really do well and then delegate the bits that are perhaps not you know, your greatest strengths, you'll have the, you'll have more impact and you'll be able to really accomplish a lot more. So when I was at Clifford Chance, for example, I thought of my role as 50% operational leadership and 50% strategy project. And I'm, you know, a very experienced strategy consultant. So thinking of it that way and thinking about how do, what changes do we need to make? Where's this industry going? What is going to need to be 
uh, different in the in the next five years was really helpful to me. And then being able to frame that in ways that help people understand the need for change, I drew very strongly on my strategy consulting career. But equally, I'd done a lot of operational management, and I was able to draw on that. And for those areas where my team were stronger, with deep functional expertise, deep technical expertise, I found it very important to delegate to them and let them be the experts that they could be. So we were, everybody was bringing you know, their A-game to, to the, the whole plan. Talk us through some of the key challenges you faced in the role at Clifford Chance and really focus in on any skills or capabilities you needed to develop or add to your team to address some of these challenges. So one of the things that I think was quite eye-opening when I joined Clifford Chance was that um, uh, compared to an organization like Accenture, for example, uh, the the sort of the uh, adoption of best practices and commercial discipline was much lower. And I think that's true of the legal industry generally. And so, you know, I could see there were many opportunities to just take best practices from elsewhere and introduce them and create beneficial change because many of the people who I was working with had never worked elsewhere. Creating that case for change was really important. And so as I looked at the team, uh, and we had a number of roles, you know, that we had to replace. We replaced the CFO. We eventually replaced the chief people officer. Um, it was really helpful to start looking externally outside of the legal industry for people who could come in with that knowledge of what good looks like, what what best practices are, who could come in and start to make those changes within their team. So that was that was really helpful. I think the other thing to understand about a partnership is the challenges of consensus building. So at Clifford Chance, you have 550 partners who all think of themselves as owners of the business and with a stake in any outcome and a a voice that needs to be heard. And so getting that consensus can be really challenging. And it's, it's more challenging in a law firm because lawyers are by nature very risk averse, very conservative and very skeptical. So they will always challenge any plans and, and you really need to be very prepared uh, with a, a, a convincing case for change if you do want to bring in change. And so the way we did that was kind of twofold. Where we didn't think consultation was strictly necessary, we sometimes just introduced change and, and then kind of apologized later if people said, well, how did, you know, what happened here and why are we suddenly doing this in a new way? Uh, but where we did need to have, have consensus, patience is really important. People want to be heard. You need to make sure you talk to the right people, particularly the key opinion leaders, a couple of very powerful partners can block anything, really. And so you need to get round to them and you need to create champions for change from amongst the partnership. And I would say that challenges for me is I'm, I'm, I'm very action oriented. So I had to exercise a level of patience that was perhaps not, you know, natural to me. But but, you know, if you if you don't try to move too quickly, uh, s- slowly and steadily, you can actually have a huge amount of impact. I'd like to just um, double click on um, a point you made there around bringing people in from outside of industry and bringing new ideas in. When you looked for talent outside of the legal sector, did you stick to professional services more, more broadly or did you look outside of that and into industry? And if you did, how did those individuals adapt to joining a partnership model? So we did, I mean, for any role, we also looked internally. So we, we were always, you know, open to the to internal candidates, but we looked externally, both within professional services and beyond. I think professional services, particularly part, the partnership model, understanding how to operate in that model is helpful. But we've we actually brought in people from uh, from the pharma, pharmaceutical industry, from media, um, from uh, banking uh, into very senior, you know, C-level uh, roles. Uh, at the firm, and and they all brought really interesting perspectives. But there was an adjustment process for each of them 
to really understand how to work in a partnership and, and get the sort of the, the, the rhythm and the sort of the culture of the partnership. I think in particular, one, I, I won't name names, but one of, one of the new joiners, you know, wanted to move much more quickly than the partnership was going to be able to do. And it's, you know, I used to say it's a bit like trying to pull a seatbelt out really quickly. You got to go slowly, otherwise it's just going to lock. And if you moved, you know, if you pushed people too fast, they just dig in their heels. Uh, you know, they really need to be taken on the journey with you. So, uh, but those those external perspectives were great. And, and they were from, it, actually, it was very important that they were from organizations that people really respected so that they could say, oh, okay, well, this is how they did it there. I, I guess I can, you know, obviously we should listen to this and, and, and pay attention. So that that was very helpful. In 2021, Caroline, you were awarded the FT um, Innovative Lawyer Changemakers Award in recognition of the impact that you had had at Clifford Chance. What change were you proudest of during your tenure at the firm? I was very honoured, actually, to be awarded, very honoured and very surprised because we actually didn't financially support the award. So we were uh, we weren't expecting to win anything, but um, a, a couple of people had nominated me. And so I, I got got entered. But um, I think the three changes, there sort of three areas of change that I would say, you know, had the most impact. The first was really around commercial discipline. So as I mentioned earlier, comparing Clifford Chance or frankly, any law firm to an organization like Accenture, the level of commercial discipline is much lower timesheets are recorded more slowly people are much more relaxed about billing and collecting uh, pricing is done in you know very idiosyncratic ways and we really got hold of that and and started to you know improve the whole working capital management improve the speed of recording time and sending out bills and and collecting on those bills and also brought in a professional pricing function to help partners negotiate with uh, big clients where they're not necessarily the best people to say no to clients so that was one area um, the second was around legal service delivery, bringing in things like legal project management, uh, low-cost delivery centers, improving the adoption of legal technology to automate things, and you know taking partners out of the mix in some things so that we, we could actually bring in lower-cost people doing things that partners might have wanted to do. And so that was, that was very important, and there's a lot more coming there. And then the third was around operating models. So Clifford Chance is quite unusual in that we have a captive shared service center in India. And over the course of my seven years, we really substantially grew the team out in India and moved a lot more roles out there, uh, typically at about 25% of the cost of the onshore role, building the confidence of the firm that those roles could be moved offshore and could be done at a distance was a challenge. Although I have to say the pandemic really helped on that because you know everybody was working at a distance. So uh, you couldn't really say it didn't, the model wouldn't work. Uh, and I think underpinning all of that what I would say is I was very proud of building an incredibly strong business professionals team. And that team were able to drive a consistent and continuous change program across the firm. Um, if you, you can't rely on partners to drive change because they're rightly focused on clients. Eternal initiatives, you know, can sort of have a sort of very start-stop nature if the, if the partners alone are leading. If you can bring the business professionals in alongside and have them really driving those change programs, then you get that much more consistent, steady uh, change, which I think was, was what we saw. And, and I was incredibly proud of the team that we built there. I'm going to shift the conversation now to kind of looking forwards um, in, in, in the legal sector right now. And there's much heated discussion around the impact of AI and ChatGBT in particular on the traditional law firm model. What do you predict the impact will be both in the short and long term in the legal sector? 
Well, first of all, I need to say I'm not an expert in chat GPT, although I'm not sure anyone is yet. Uh, we're all, you know, kind of we're all finding our feet. Also, that this is a huge topic uh, and one that, you know, I probably I can only touch briefly on in a, in a short podcast. But I do think that, uh, you know, generative AI, chat GPT and other similar programs are going to be transformative for the legal industry. And they're going to change it in a couple of different ways. First of all, the way legal services are delivered will change. You know, so the access, the ability to draft documents, to, you know, search databases in a very user-friendly and effective way is is massively improved now. And so people should be able to, with a very user-friendly interface, say, please develop a, you know, develop me a document that does the following things based on this law and these kinds of precedents. Uh, and then you can actually then say, and now generate a program that will write those things for me and or, you know, identify all of the variables within this document that I can then input to create a repeatable template for this. So there's a lot of things that can be done that, you know, used to be done by associates, which will now be done, uh, or the first steps of that will be done by AI. The second thing is, of course, the support model is going to change enormously. All of the big IT organizations that provide those core applications like Microsoft are now building in AI layers to those applications. So for example, Office 365 will have an AI layer. Let's give an example. You're on a Teams call. Now you have AI that says, you know, three people haven't spoken yet, or is, is takes the minutes and then sends out the actions and then follows up on the actions. These things are all well within the realm of possibility. So they're replacing people who do those jobs right now. They can manage the meeting. The meeting is running over. We only allocated five minutes for this and we've gone 10. You know, all of these things suddenly become possible. So I think that's, that's a second thing. And that's going to really change the way law firms operate. I think what's going to be interesting and, uh, is how fast law firms adapt. Because I think they are, as I said before, they're very change resistant uh, and they may, I think the other thing that makes them very nervous is these tasks are the tasks that they, the trainees do and, and the way in which they learn the business of law. And if they are taken out of the trainees' hands, how do you train those trainees? So there may be some firms who, who take it more slowly than they, they, they might. And I think the pressure will come from their clients because what I'm hearing is that all of these applications are being targeted First to you know uh, in-house legal teams who really have a huge pressure to on costs and need to you know find ways to be more efficient and those legal teams once they understand what can be done will be pressurizing the law firms to be adopting the same thing so I think the law firms will have to have to figure it out quite quickly uh, and that's going to be you know that's going to be quite a challenge for them and what new skills and capabilities or, or ways of working together will law firms need to work effectively as AI's influence grows? I think probably one of the most important things is the role of technologists, of non-lawyers, and actually a, a range of other people who are going to be you know, critical to making these new applications successful, just becomes much more important. And so law firms are going to have to operate in a much more multidisciplinary way. They're going to have to recognize and, and acknowledge the, the very important role that these non-lawyers are playing. And that's that's different from the way many law firms have been operating. So they tend to tend to operate as a sort of a two-tier culture. There's lawyers and then there's business support, uh, as they're often called. Uh, actually, the role of those technologists has become incredibly important. I think the second thing is this is going to be expensive. All of those AI layers that are going to be put in, Microsoft's going to be charging for that. Law firms are going to have to invest in new applications. They're going to have to invest in in some of these capabilities, uh, build their technology teams. And, and law firms don't like to spend money. You know, that, that's, that's a challenge. 
Um, and, and so that's going to be, you know, that's going to be something they have to do. And then the third thing is they're going to have to be more willing to change uh, and willing to experiment. So I think the most successful firms will take this technology and make it available to everyone and then just let them try it out and try different ways to use it and try different applications. And I'm hearing about that all the time that, you know, so-and-so has now figured out a way to complete his timesheets using using chat GPT and somebody else has now completely replaced their uh, assistant with an artificial and AI powered, you know, support and so those, I think, letting people experiment and, and fostering that, that innovation internally will be critical as well. And if I now take more of a helicopter view on the sector, what other trends do you see in the legal sector um, and what leadership and talent implications come with those, um, with those trends? First of all, if I just follow up on what are some of the implications for AI uh, more generally, I think the billable hour, which has been, you know, sort of pretty resilient, although on under some pressure for the last few years, really that it's going to accelerate the decline of the billable hour, because how do you bill for an AI that has just replaced hundreds of hours of junior lawyer time? You absolutely have to start looking at billing for results and not billing for input. And firms who've already started to work out how to work with fixed pricing or other more creative you know, commercial models than the billable hour will, I think, be, be in the lead. Uh, I think the war for talent will continue, but talent is going to be not just lawyers. It's also going to be those other critical technology professionals uh, and other business professionals who are part of the, the wider team. And I think that that connects back to this idea of law firms working in a multidisciplinary way and that whole professionalization of management, which I think has been taking place, although it, it always goes in waves. So what you will see is a firm professionalizes and then the next managing partner comes in and says, oh, put lawyers back in charge. And, and so you get these kind of waves. Well, I think the professionalization of management is going to be critical now, particularly with some of these new capabilities. And then I think finally, the war for talent is just going to continue. The old ways of, you know, work 2,400 hours a year and maybe at some point you'll make partner. People just don't want to do that anymore and they don't want to be treated the way in many firms people have been treated in the past. So that emphasis on wellness, that emphasis on diversity and inclusion, you know, they're looking for firms to invest much more in their personal development, their professional development, and they're looking for, you know, clear statements of purpose and values that they can identify with. And I just think that's going to become continually more important in the firms that don't get that will lose the best talent and, and, and that'll be to their detriment. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Caroline, for your thoughts today. And thank you for making the time to speak with us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.